from Mark chapter 11, chapters one, verse 1 to 11. Mark chapter 11. Verse 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him, The Lord needs it, and and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, Why are you untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Lord, we just uh, thank you so much that you are a God who is a God of truth and you are a God who has been victorious over everything that we're trying to feed you in this world. And we pray that as we reflect over this uh, week of Easter that you will teach us new truths and you will give us deeper confidence that our faith is based on something that you have done that is quite remarkable in the person of Jesus. And in his march towards the cross and his resurrection from death to life. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words that are unbelievable to us. And may we see faith in them and believe and see for ourselves that you are true. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, uh, Brock stood up here with Margaret and he spoke about um, recovering from treatment with cancer and most of us have probably know people who have had cancer my brother had cancer when he was 11 years old it was a big thing in our home he was given 3 months to live and he uh, had major operations for a 12 year old and he survived And when you are diagnosed with cancer, the one thing you, I don't think, ever do is turn away. I don't think when you go to the doctor and he says, "Um, I've got this news for you, that you go, I don't think I should talk about it. Pretty much the universal response is one of shock and then is one of how can we treat this? Is it treatable? And then very aggressive treatments to try and eradicate the body of cancer. Cancer in its very simplest form 
is a blood vessel, a blood cell that will not cooperate with the other blood cells and will seek the destruction of the body. And what we have in Easter, in a spiritual context, is God diagnosing the world and saying, the world and his creation and us have cancer, spiritually. Its root is in Satan and is in evil. And the only antidote to that affliction is the blood of Jesus on the cross. This week is the most violent week in the Christian gospel. And in a culture like ours, that is obsessed with peace at every cost, what we do spiritually most of the time is live in denial. And we say, no, it's not cancer. No, it will go away. When people are old enough, they can work out whether they should have treatment or not. We say about our children and the young people, no, they're not in danger, they're not lost, no, they don't have cancer, no, they're all right. When they're old enough, they can make up their mind. But we take that same child into hospital at three years old, and that child is diagnosed with cancer. We do not say, doctor, please wait until they're old enough to decide whether they should have treatment. We live in a schizophrenic world. We live in a world that is schizophrenic about how to deal with stuff that is bad news. And Jesus, when he goes uh, towards Jerusalem, is resolutely saying there is no negotiation with evil. There is no negotiation with the cancer of what Satan does to his people. And it's come home to me really strongly as I've read some of the history of Africa again and read some of the history of Rwanda, particularly in the genocide, that the face of evil is absolutely ruthless. And having grown up in South Africa, I've seen some of the abilities of people to really imprison other people. I've seen what it's like to stand on streets and face government officials and face possible death. And the thing that scares me the most about Canadian culture is apathy. It is much, much more difficult to deal with apathy than it is to deal with apartheid. It's much more difficult to deal with uh, comfort and affluence and holidays galore than it is to deal with the harshness of some of the third world countries. It will be much easier to go, I got a letter from uh, Micah this week and he said, well, we've just planned a conference with 400 of our pastors in the rural region that you're going to speak to. And he says the problem that they're having is that some of them are pushed backwards and forwards because of lack of teaching and because they're also struggling to know how can they be pastors and also make a living for their families. What does one say? I guarantee in six weeks' time I'll be standing here probably in tears, moved by the faith of people who have nothing and who rejoice and sing Hosanna in a way that just absolutely hum humbles me. But if there's one thing that I believe we want to try and get hold of this morning is that God has a passion for the lost, God has a passion for his people 
And we need to regain that sense of what he calls us to be in this world. Because in the analogy that I've given, I think you will agree, many of us just sit back and say, it doesn't really matter. There's not an urgency. There's not a sense of, Lord, how can you use me? We are like, Christians are like the, wet, the, 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 the white blood corpuscles or that go to the infected area of, uh, of the uh, body when it gets infected and, they, and they, they heal it. The only problem is those white cells die. It's called pus. And so we have these kingdoms in conflict where Jesus rises up and says, Enough! And he takes on the kingdom of darkness. Jesus looked over the crowd, you remember, early in his ministry when he did the feeding of the 5,000 and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Like that clip from the, uh, the movie uh, Perfect Storm. He saw people drowning and they didn't even know they were drowning. And he looked over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and if you've ever been there, you stand on this hill and you see Jerusalem, the most beautiful city, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And he wept. How long that I could bring you to me, draw you to me, but you would not come. We rant and we rave about why God allows things. We need to get on our knees and say, Oh God, you are so merciful to such an arrogant piece of creation like me who is continually calling you to task for what I have done. And if anything, we need a huge dose of humility, a huge dose of bow down before the living God. Don't you think? The crucifixion was not a Starbucks latte on a Sunday afternoon or a Friday afternoon. It was ruthless. It was absolutely brutal. So it's a, it's a week filled with conflict, with violence, with anger, with hostility, with blood. And one of the things we're going to see in our lifetimes, make no mistake about it, in, in this part of the world, we will see that if you want to live free, you have to make sacrifices. If you want to live free, people have to die for that. Because the opposition, whoever they are, are willing to die for it. A suicide bomber, however misguided they might be, are willing to die for what they believe. And they're really throwing down the gauntlet and saying, are you willing to die? And one of the strategies that led to the genocide in Rwanda, if you read the history, was the guys knew that the West would not die for what they believed. And they were right. As soon as they killed some Belgian soldiers, the French and the Belgians moved out and the United States wouldn't touch it. And what was absolutely predictable for two years happened. And that's why Romeo Dallaire went crazy for a while. Because he watched it unfold. And all he could say was, the people I represent haven't got the guts to stand for something because all that is here in Rwanda are people. There isn't oil, there isn't wealth, there isn't gold. And so for me, it's just a very stark image of our condition. It's why we need to cry out, Oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, use me in a way that will bring light and change in this world. 
even if it might inconvenience me somewhat. And if you look at uh, the, the, uh, the events leading up to this, it's, it's astounding. You look at Mark chapter 10, and Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen. And he says, I tell you the truth, uh, you know, first of all he talks about how difficult it is for people to follow him and to enter the kingdom of God. And that's when he said it's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. The eye of the needle was that little door in the big door outside the, in the, in the city walls. And they were quite upset by that and he said, well many who will be first will be last and many who will be last will be first. And then he goes on and he's, we read in verse 32 of chapter 10, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Very significant. We're on the Jericho road now. And Jesus is leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those following were afraid. We should not be astonished that we are afraid following Jesus at times. We should not be afraid that we are astonished. The most significant thing about following Jesus in this world is that we will be astonished and we will be afraid. And if we're not, we're not following Jesus. We're just following some myth that suits our purposes, right? Because Jesus has to come against some of what we stand for or some of what we do. There is no way that we in our natural state uh, following Jesus will not be challenged. And if you are never challenged by Jesus, you're not following him. You're maintaining a religious veneer that is actually meaningless. I'm sorry to say that, but it's absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll lay down my life on that. Because Jesus is not like us. Can you kids stop walking around please? Otherwise I'm going to start walking around, that's why I've got this microphone. Um, you know, I'll be patient up to a point, but I want to see some behavior. Thank you. It's a tough day today. So Jesus is following, uh, they're following and they're afraid, they're, they're astonished and afraid. And he says, he says to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later he will rise. It is one thing to walk up to Jerusalem and get surprised. It's another to walk right up to what's going to happen to you and say, okay, here I am. That's courage. And it's not a, a sanitized sort of, you know, the police saying, I'd like to redo your rights. It's brutal Roman soldiers who have no compunction at all about slitting your side or doing something to you. Then he's just talked about, I'm going to go and all hell's going to break loose over me. This next phrase is for all of us who are disillusioned with one another. James and John come up to him and say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? You Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. If I was Jesus at that point, I would have smacked them and said, You guys, <laughs> I'm the one who's about to suffer and all you're worried about is your status. 
He just said, you don't know what you're asking for. I don't have the authority to do that anyway. Incredibly gracious. He realized that they were talking ignorantly, so he didn't react to them. Like I would have. And then he says, you know, oh, it's amazing. But he really in the end says, if you want to have power, and if you want to have leadership in my kingdom, you need to serve. You need to be the servant. The greatest shall be the least, and the least shall be the greatest. Something the Christian church desperately, desperately cries out for is servanthood, humility. Being willing to give beyond uh, what you can afford. Being willing to lay down your life for others. The Christian church in North America, and I'm not, I live here so I'm part of it, looks much more like the world than it does the kingdom of God. Because we don't believe that the cancer is serious. And then Jesus has this wonderful time. They come to Jericho and again they're moving on. He's moving to Jerusalem. If I'm moving to Jerusalem, I, this is cool, but I'm walking to Jerusalem, I'm going to be pretty self-absorbed. I'm going to be pretty much into what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be talking to Dave about what's it going to be like to get crucified or what are those Romans going to do. I'm going to be asking Brad something or I'm going to be asking you something. And some guy calls out over here and it's blind Bartimaeus. And the disciples say, don't worry him now, he's busy, he's going to Jerusalem. And he says, let him come. And the most crazy thing he does is he says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? I want to hear. Don't be smart. <laughs> he, why does he say that? Because he says, you need to own. You need to own what you want from me. What do you want me to do? It's a lovely phrase. I love asking it. You should ask it all the time to one another. What do you want him to do? What is it you want from Jesus? If you're stuck in your Christian walk, if you're stuck in your life, stop complaining. What do you want him to do? And then you might consider what he might want you to do. Many of us are stuck in our lives and in our Christian faith because we are so bloody minded and arrogant. He says, I, have, I will lay down my life for you, but I can't live your life. You have to do that. I have opened up the doorway to heaven, to all the resources I have. They're all there for you. My issue is not that you don't ask me for stuff. My issue is you don't know how to receive what I've given. And so you complain and complain and complain and it's all here like the, like the uh, older brother with the prodigal son. It's all here. But you have to get up and walk on your own pins. You have to actually make some decisions for yourself. This wasn't in the script at all. But it's us, isn't it? It's actually saying, God, he, has, he has moved to Jerusalem, he's gone to the cross and he says, follow me through. I went to get all of my injections for Africa this week and I was chicken. You know, I go off there and this woman talks to me so nicely, but, you know, every time she puts a check, I think of it's another needle. So I asked her if she got commission for as many as she was going to pump into me, and she assured me no, but there were about six injections. 
But you know, they've refined it so much it hardly hurts now. And I think it's a bit like us with Jesus, you know. He's not out to hurt us. He's just out to bless us. And I think it's going to hurt much more than it does. But you've still got to get it. You've still got to get the injection. You've still got to experience that it's not as bad. Nobody else can do that for you. And I believe many of us are stuck because we're just chicken. And that's a worse state to be in. So they go up to Jerusalem and they get to Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. In fact, if you go there, the little flags on, on wires that show you how far you can walk on the Passover to keep the law. Which is really depressing seeing the law has been overcome by Jesus. But anyway, some people still live like that. And Bethany is just on the edge of that. And that's where Jesus gets on the donkey and he moves in and they start crying Hosanna. And within four days they're saying crucify. The people who said hail to the king in four days are saying crucify and we prefer Barabbas, thank you very much. What's that about? The fickleness of human beings who are swayed just like that. Why did Jesus, if any of us were given... uh, the profile of Jesus and then we were told he would go into the temple and he would look at what was going on and he'd turn over the money changers tables he'd say there's no way he would do that because Jesus is loving and caring and meek and mild right? not quite though there's a tough side to God that is ruthless relating to sin and to evil and to Satan and that's the part that we are seduced into not taking too seriously. And so he enters into the temple and what he sees in, 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 in a bigger picture is greed, is power, is opportunism and is a prostitution of religion. And the people are the victims. The people who come sincerely from all outskirts to Jerusalem to say yes to God are being manipulated by the religious leaders. Hasn't changed much today, it's just a little bit more sophisticated. And he was furious. To be blunt, it's a bit like George Bush saying, we're going to have war on terror, you go. I'm staying on the ranch. Jesus said, war on terror, I lay down my life for you that's the difference and the people had never seen this before they'd never seen someone who would speak up and live for God and then lay down their lives on their behalf and so Jesus articulated the frustrations of the people and that's what terrified the religious leaders because what he spoke was truth and it resonated with them. It didn't resonate with the people who wanted power, positions and pensions. It's always the way with God. The kingdom turns things upside down. So what lessons do we learn? Because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so the way he came up to Jerusalem was the love of the Father being worked out, being, being worked out as the tough love of the Father. Most of the time we're talking about the gentle love. Today we're focusing on the tough love. 
And I believe it's the part of the Christian church, the part of our individual lives that we most need God to help us with. We were talking in the council meeting on Monday when Jesus sits at the Passover, which we'll think about on Thursday, and and he looks around at his disciples and he says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And we thought a little bit about that, what that meant. I tell you the truth. And how much we need as people to learn how to speak the truth to one another. There's too much silence. There's too much mind games. There's too much second guessing. What's it like to speak the truth? And guess what I'm trying to say here? Speaking the truth is not saying what's wrong with you. Speaking the truth should 75% of the time be blessing each other. I want to tell you the truth of what I see in you. I see something good. That's speaking the truth. And then the 25% is welcome. The 25% of... I have this issue or I'm struggling with this or I don't understand that. And Jesus, read through this over this week and see what you think. Pretty much everything Jesus did on the Jericho road leading up to the crucifixion could have been compromised away. Could have been said, well, we don't have to make a scene here. Look at the money changes. I mean, he's seen this for 30 years. It's not like it's the first time he's seen it. Well, let's pray over this. You realize that, I mean, prayer is powerful, but in Satan's hands, prayer is a wonderful cop-out. Because if everybody prays and nobody does anything, you won't have a crucifixion. Then you won't have a resurrection. So somewhere somebody has to put feet and flesh and be the answers to the prayers. And the whole key of course is you only respond in the flesh as the Father leads you. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit for courage and power. So what lessons do we learn as we go into Palm, uh, come through Palm Sunday? Very quickly, and I mean this. I have six, and believe me, they can take six minutes. Ways, the way, one, the ways of God are very, very counterintuitive. In other words, what we see Jesus doing and behaving in the temple is not what we would anticipate. Many of the things of God are not what we would anticipate. We have to give him room to move and be God. And it's not usually as we see it. Thank God. So part of following Jesus is learning how to be open to what is not obvious or, or intuitive. And it needs to be energized by the Holy Spirit. Number two, there are times when we need to be willing to make a stand and pay the price for truth. This church has done that as a church in some remarkable ways actually. But I think on the individual level we need to learn more about to make stands for truth and say what does matter The trouble in the Christian church is that sometimes people make stands and they become so obnoxious that they actually cause more problems by the way they stand. So if I went to the cross, I'd be going, get to the cross and I'd be doing so many gestures and so much stuff that my going to the cross would get blurred by my attitude. And that's why Jesus in the end says, you have to love one another. How do you love one another and lay down your life and make a stand at the same time. And that we need the power of God to work. Three, appearances are deceptive with God. Many, many times, we probably all know this, when things look at their worst, or things are really going tough, 
Trust that God is in the middle of it. We need to learn how to trust God and not the circumstances in which we are. If you're in a great circumstance, it might have something to do with God, it might not have anything to do with God. If you're in an awful circumstance, it might have something to do with God, it probably doesn't. Circumstances are not, uh, circumstances are not an indication that God is pleased or angry with you. Circumstances are life. And what Jesus promises, he'll be with us in the midst of life. And what's going to honor him and glorify him is how Christians live when the big waves are there. Not when it's easy. Anybody can do that. So appearances are deceptive. We need to listen, watch and pray for where the Lord is and keep his company. I said the fourth one, which is almost everything Jesus did, could have been compromised, could have been talked out of. We need to learn how to deal with conflict. Fifth, we need courage. Courage is required. And you know what's wonderful about the disciples? They, they, they really muddled their way through that road to Jerusalem and the cross. They really muddled their way through. They gave up, they, 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 they got scared, but they hung in there. And that's all that God asks us to do. Hang in even when you're afraid and he will see you through. He helped them when they failed, he met with them and he helped them regroup and they started again. And they changed the world and most of them died for their faith, just like the one they followed. And finally, truth. The truth that Jesus brings is the truth that is uncompromising. And so I pray that as we uh, enter into this week of Easter, we'll, we'll look at this tough side and be grateful that God took that tough stance for us and then we'll ask him to work that out in our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the tough love of Jesus. We thank you for the way that he faced opposition and conflict for us. We thank you that he gave us a solution to the cancer that we are infected with, the cancer of rebellion and of selfishness, the cancer of, of wanting to do our own thing, the cancer of wanting to have God and our lives and bow to no one. We pray for one another through this Easter season that you will draw us closer to yourself and that you will make us a people who increasingly are those who reflect the character of the one whom we follow on this Jericho Road. As we come and break bread together, Lord, we just bring to you our fears, our hopes, our joys, our weaknesses, where we, where we find ourselves in circumstances that just cause us to be in turmoil, Lord Jesus, we pray for your company, that we would know your presence. And in knowing your presence, our circumstances or the perception of them will change. Thank you for your love made flesh. Thank you for your love laid down at the cross. 
and thank you for your power that ultimately brought victory and therefore hope for us who were to follow. We bless you and we praise you, Almighty God. In Jesus' name. Amen.